Chapter 16 of The Riders of the Silences by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Pierre stared at his companion with almost open-mouthed astonishment. I, a dance? And then his head tilted back and he laughed. My good times, Dick, come out of the hills and the skyline and the gallop of Mary. But as for women, they bore me, Dick. Even Jack? She's more man than woman. It was the turn of Wilbur to laugh, and he responded uproariously until Pierre frowned and flushed a little. When I see you out here on your horse with your rifle in the boot and your six-gun swinging low in the scabbard and riding the fastest bit of horseflesh on the ranges, explained Wilbur, I get to thinking that you're pretty much king of the mountains. But in certain respects, Pierre, you're a child. Pierre stirred uneasily in his saddle. A man must be well over thirty before he can withstand ridicule. He said dryly, I have an idea that I know Jack about as well as the next man. Let it drop, said Wilbur, sober again, for he shared with all of Boone's crew a deep-rooted unwillingness to press Red Pierre beyond a certain point. The one subject I won't quarrel about is Jack, God bless her. She's the best pal, said Pierre soberly, and the nearest to a man I've ever met. Nearest to a man, queried Wilbur, and smiled, but so furtively that even the sharp eye of Red Pierre did not perceive the mockery. He went on. But the dance, what of that? It's a masquerade. There'd be no fear of being recognized. Pierre was silent for a moment more. Then he said, This girl, what did you call her? Mary, and about her hair. I think you said it was black. Golden, Pierre. Mary, and golden hair, mused Red Pierre. I think I'll go to that dance. With Jack? She dances wonderfully, you know. Well, with Jack. So they reached a tumbled ranch house squeezed between two hills so that it sheltered from the storms of the winter but held all the heat of the summer. Once it had been a goodly building, the home of some cattle king. But bad times had come. A bullet in a saloon brawl put an end to the cattle king, and now his home was a wreck of its former glory. The northern wing shelved down to the ground as if the building were kneeling to the power of the wind, and the southern portion of the house, though still erect, seemed tottering and rotten throughout, and holding together until at a final blow the whole structure would crumple at once. To the stables, hardly less ruinous than the big house, Pierre and Wilbur took their horses, and a series of whinnies greeted them from the stalls. To look down that line of magnificent heads, raised above the partitions of the stalls, was like glancing into the stud of some crowned head, who made hunting and racing his chief end in life, for these were animals worthy of the sport of kings. They were chosen each from among literal hundreds, and they were cared for far more tenderly than the masters cared for themselves. There was a reason in it, for upon their speed and endurance depended the life of the outlaw. Moreover, the policy of Jim Boone was one of actual long riding. 
Here he had come to a pause for a few days to recuperate his horses and his men. Tomorrow, perhaps, he would be on the spur again and sweeping off to a distant point in the mountain desert to strike and be gone again before the rangers knew well that he had been there. Very rarely did one settler have another neighbor at a distance of less than two hundred miles. It meant arduous and continual riding, and a horse with any defect was worse than useless because the speed of the gang had to be the speed of the slowest horse in the lot. It was some time before the two long riders had completed the grooming of their horses and had gone down the hill and into the house. In the largest habitable room, they found a fire fed with rotten timbers from the wrecked portion of the building, and scattered through the room a sullen and dejected group, Mansey, Branch, Jim Boone, and Black Morgan Gandil. At a glance, it was easy to detect their malady. It was the horrible ennui which comes to men who are always surrounded by one set of faces. If a man is happily married, he may bear with his wife and his children constantly through long stretches of time. But the glamour of life lies in the varying personalities which a man glimpses in passing, but never knows. This was a rare crew. Every man of them was marked for courage and stamina and wild daring. Yet even so, in their passive moments, they hated each other with a hate that passed the understanding of common men. Through seven years they had held together, through fair weather and foul, and now each knew, from the other's expression, the words that were about to be spoken, and each knew that the other was reading him and loathing what he read. So they were apt to relapse into long silences, unless Jack was with them. For being a woman, her variety was infinite. Or Pierre Le Rouge, whom all except Black Gandal loved and petted and feared. They were a battered crowd. Wind and hard weather and a thousand suns had marked them, and the hand of man had branded them. Here and there, with a touch of gray in their hair, and about the mouth of each were lines which in some silent moments, as this one, gave an expression of yearning. "'What's up? What's wrong?' asked Wilbur from the door. But since no answer was deigned, he said no more. But Pierre, like a charmed man, who dares to walk among lions, strolled easily through the room and looked into the face of Big Boone, who smiled faintly up to him, and Black Gandal, who scowled doubly dark, and Bud Manzi, who shifted uneasily in his chair and then nodded, and finally to Branch. He dropped a hand on the massive shoulder of the blacksmith. Well, he asked. Branch let himself droop back into his chair. His big, dull, colorless eyes stared up to his friend. I don't know, lad. I'm just weary with the sort of tired that you can't help by sleeping. Understand? Pierre nodded slowly, because he sympathized. And the trouble? Branch stared about, as if searching for a reason. Jack's upstairs sulking. Patterson hasn't come home yet. And Black Gandal, who heard all things, said without looking up, A man that saves a shipwrecked fellow 
he gets bad luck for thanks. Pierre turned a considerable eye on him, and Gandal scowled back. You've been croaking for six years, Morgan, about the bad luck that would come to Jim for saving me out of the snow. It's never happened, has it? Gandal, snarling from one side of his mouth, answered, Where's Patterson? Am I responsible if the blockhead has got drunk someplace? Patterson doesn't get drunk, not that way, and he knows that we were to start again today. There ain't no doubt of that, commented Branch. It's the straight dope. Patterson keeps his dates, said Bud Mansey. The booming bass of Jim Boone broke in. Shut up, the whole gang of you. We've had luck for the six years Pierre has been with us. Who calls him a Jonah? And Black Gandil answered, I do. I've sailed the seas. I know bad luck when I see it. You've been seeing it for six years. The worst storms come on a voyage that starts with fair weather. Patterson, he's gone. He ain't just delayed. He's gone. It was not the first of these gloomy prophecies which Gandil had made, but each time a heavy gloom broke over Red Pierre, for when he summed up the good fortune which the cross of Father Victor had brought him, he found that he had gained a father and lost him at their first meeting, and he had won money on that night of the gambling, but it had cost the life of another man almost at once. The horse which carried him away from the vengeance in Morgantown had died on the way, and he had been saved from the landslide, but the girl had perished. He had driven McGurk from the ranges, and where would the penalty fall on those who were near and dear to him? In a superstitious horror, he had asked himself the question a thousand times, and finally he could hardly bear to look into the ominous, brooding eyes of Black Gandil. It was as if the man had a certain and evil knowledge of the future. End of chapter 16